All right, as I mentioned before, we're taking a look these weeks at some lessons from 1 Thessalonians where God speaks uh, regarding the end, and we'll hear that word this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I invite you to take your own Bible out if you'd like and follow along with me. If you've got one of these bluish-whitish ones there in your, in your row, in your seats, uh, you can find this on, what is it, like page 958, if you want to follow along there, page 958. Let's pray as we hear God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us today. Uh, please do not let me, your servant, stand in the way of people hearing your word. Let the gospel that you have for them come through clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've been with uh, any number of, of families who have lost an adult child in death. Uh, and one of them, I remember in particular, the family was quite uh, broken up over. Uh, it was you know, just a really traumatic thing. And I don't want to tell you any specific things uh, to protect the family's privacy but I think you can probably imagine what a family might experience if they were particularly broken up or just overwhelmed with grief uh, over the death of their, their adult child. Uh, things like, I mean, lots of crying naturally, but uh, it's very hard to get out of bed. Uh, sometimes you would also find it very hard to, to, to get some sleep and to sleep um, hard to eat, sometimes overeating like crazy, uh, no conversations with, with anybody outside your immediate family, just no interest in talking with anybody else. Uh, the, those are signs that the grief of a death is, is just overwhelming. And maybe you think that's normal, maybe you think that's what a lot of families might uh, go through when they process the death of their adult child. Uh, I learned that that was not at least the way that it had to be because my family lost um, my uncle in his, in his 50s, you know, and so I got to watch my, not only my aunt uh, and his daughters uh, process that, uh, but then my, my grandparents, his parents, and my dad, you know, the, the brother. Uh, there was definitely grief. There was quite a bit of, of tears and sorrow, especially, you know, behind closed doors, but there's plenty of rejoicing and, and celebration. The funeral was actually a fairly... Uh, fairly, not don't give me not not a happy affair, but a a, a, a celebratory event, uh, a rejoicing in the the victory of Jesus for my uncle. It was a it was it was it would be hard to say it was a good thing, but it wasn't all a bad thing. Uh, and that's really right. That's the thing that living without hope, or at least without much hope, to most of us probably won't look that different from somebody who lives with quite a bit more hope. Uh, and the reason is, is that in our, in our 21st century, we've got a lot of shame over our society, and we have a strong desire for privacy. And, and so if I hadn't been intimately connected with both of these events, I don't think I would have ever seen the difference. Uh, but there's a huge difference in living without hope compared to living with, with more hope. And I don't think anybody has said that in the 21st century better than a man named Viktor Frankl who lived through the German concentration camps. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish man. He eventually became a, a psychologist. And he said that the prisoner who lost faith in the future, he was doomed. He simply gave up. Lost faith in the future. What's faith in the future? That's, that's hope. And that's what God says that each of you and I should have today. If you hear these words uh, in, in verse 13 here, it says, 
He does not want us to grieve like those who have no hope. What does that mean? If you invert it, God wants you and I to grieve like people who have hope. He wants you and I to grieve like people who have hope. He doesn't want us to grieve like people who have no hope. The world is, we're filled with a pandemic. There's a a lot of people who have died. We've lost uh, economic value. We've lost a lot of other cultural values. There has to be grief in this kind of a situation, but we shouldn't have grief without hope. Uh, And so let's get into this word today and see if we can have some hope. Now, you look at what Paul says in this, these verses, and Paul says the reason we partially can't have hope is simply this. It's verse 13. We don't want you to be uninformed. Uh, we don't want you to be uninformed. So what's, what's a major reason or a big part of the reason that people don't have hope uh, is because they're, we're ignorant. Right? There's a problem of ignorance. We, we, we just don't have the knowledge. What did that sound like for the Thessalonians? The Thessalonians were Greeks. As Greek speakers, they had a pretty good uh, conviction or a pretty good cultural belief about the end of the world. Greeks believed in the immortality of the soul. They believed in the immortality of the soul, right? So Paul could come along and say, the immortality of the soul, that's a good thing. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's what the, the scriptures would say. And you notice in these words, Paul doesn't say, uh, you're, you're wrong about the immortality of the soul thing. Paul says, you need to know something else. The body will also rise. There will be a, a resurrection of the body. The, the Lord will return and the, the dead will rise. That's what you need to know. See, there was an ignorance, not of the immortality of, of all people, but of the resurrection of the body. Now, you know, me, we, modern culture, Western culture, I think we've inverted that, don't you think? I mean, we've, we've, we downplay the soul. When's the last time you had a conversation about somebody's soul in, in everyday life? Like, never, right? Um, and and we, we, it, we raise up, we speak about bodily, physical things all the time. Uh, and, and so we, we have no concept any of, of immortality uh, apart from some connection to Christian convictions. For example, I know, I know some people, uh, some of you have friends who are convinced that we will come back as some sort of animal or, uh, or a, a different being. What is that? That means we will not have, we don't have an immortal soul, we don't have something that lives forever, and we will not have an eternal physical body. There will not be a resurrection of the body. Uh, another one that People have, have said, maybe you know friends who believe this, right? I've heard from many uh, deceased that their, their loved one is, a, is with them in spirit. It, that they're with us in spirit. Now, I think that that can be understood maybe in a, in a right way, and I understand, I think, what people are trying to get at, but that's mostly ignoring the physical existence that God really wants to talk about. You notice here, Paul doesn't say, our loved ones are with us in spirit. He says, there will be a resurrection of the body. That's the, that's the key thing. That's the important thing, that the bodies will rise. Uh, and, and really saying that our loved ones are with us in spirit is, is close at least to a kind of you know, ancestor worship or something like that. I know some people who don't expect anything after we die. And maybe you know that kind of person too. Uh, I remember one of the ways I was taught to share the gospel with people was to say, if you were to die tonight... 
what do you think would, what would, what would you say to Jesus? And uh, when, you, when you stood before him, you know, before heaven. And I remember saying that to somebody one time, and they looked at me like, uh, I don't know. And it never even dawned on me that they had never thought of eternity. They had never thought of anything after their own death, right? Their whole life was, was these 70, 80 years. There was nothing for that person after death. I kind of ignored it. I was bad in the moment. I was not paying attention to what was going on. You know, and I just kept talking, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized later, like, they have no idea. They've never even thought of a life after death. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, you know, and that's, isn't that right? What, what some people would, would say, that's not a reality. And, and I'm sure we even know people who would say that death is basically a good thing. And there I'm not talking about uh, people who, who suffer. And when we say, you know, I'm glad that their suffering is over, that's understandably a good thing. There I'm thinking, you know, I had a young lady, a, a, a young Christian lady that I spoke with, and we were talking about the concept of progress in America. You know, life is always getting better, and death is just part of this life. It's part of always getting better. And for her, it was, it was the Lion King, you know, it's the circle of life, right? That's, that's her concept of, of eternity. But there's no immortal soul then, there's no physical resurrection of the body, it's all just over. See, these are, these are all some of the ways that Western culture, that, that even somewhat a, a Christian culture has said, look, the body is, is not important, uh, the soul, maybe it's immortal, maybe it's not. You know, and to, to all of us, I think Paul would say, the dead in Christ will rise. That's the big, that's the big thing. Paul, Paul wants to, you to know that if you say, physical life is all that matters, and when it's over, it's over, it's no wonder that you and I don't have any hope. If, if I say there's no if I say there's nothing that exists after my death, then there's no hope for, for me, my future. Um, and and I, I don't want to sound harsh or, or heartless, but to me, you know, it does not sound hopeful to imagine becoming a cat after I die. Um, and I, I mean, not, I don't want to take it lightly at all, right? I'm just saying that does not sound hopeful, especially because my wife would not like me at all anymore. She does not like cats. Uh, that would not be good for our, our, our time together. Right? But that, doesn't, I, I don't, that does not sound hopeful uh, to me. That, that doesn't sound appealing. It, you know, it certainly doesn't sound appealing to say that I would just be nothing and, and disappear. What I would want to say is, and this is what an old preacher said, you know, pretty soon they're going to they're gonna say that I'm dead. And he said, don't believe it. It's better now for me, or I'll be better than I've ever been before. Pretty soon people say, I'm dead, don't believe it. I'll be better, actually, after I'm dead than I've ever been before. That sounds like real hope. Um, you, know, you know how it is when you look in, a, in the mirror and the, the vanity light is, is shining down on the mirror and there's this glow in the bathroom, right? The whole, there's a, a light everywhere and you, you can say, that's it, right? That is what I want to see, that God will take... Uh, the, the, the brokenest and the ugliest and the most decrepit and falling apart thing that I have ever had, you know, that I have to look at all the time. And he's going to take it and make it into this dazzling and immortal and radiant and wonderful and, and powerful thing. There's power searching for me and there'll be this light everywhere. And if your bathroom doesn't let you do that because it's just a dark and dungy hole, you can come borrow my bathroom. 
that's okay. I'll let you use it for this experiment. Um, right, Paul says, that's what you can have. That's the kind of glorious, immortal, powerful life you can have. And he says, here's how to have it. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. We believe, and so we believe. Now, and so what we got here is a, a conviction and then a consequence, and we're going to just real quickly cover that, right? You notice how Paul says, we believe Jesus died and rose again? We believe Jesus died and rose again? Now, I notice that. That strikes me, because I think if there was ever a person who knew Jesus died and rose, didn't just believe it, but knew it, it's Paul, right? You and I, I often have to say to people, well, you know, it's, you believe it. You believe it. But Paul saw him. At 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus appeared to Paul. Uh, and when Jesus, or when Paul went down to meet with James, the brother of Jesus, and with Peter, he met both those men. And both of those men, they didn't tell Paul, you know, you just got to believe it. They said, we saw him. He actually died and, and rose. So, so Paul, Paul says, I know it. And yet here's what I really want to say to you. We believe Jesus died and rose. Why is he saying that? Why is, he, why is he telling us to do that? Because faith includes knowledge, right? It does. It always includes knowledge. But faith is always more than knowledge. Faith can't be empty of knowledge, empty of facts. It has to have facts. But faith is always more than facts. It, it must be, be more than facts. Faith is never less than knowledge. And Paul says, we believe this, right? We believe Jesus died and rose, which means we risk everything on it. We, we put all of the blue chips on it, you know. We, we are even willing to, to risk everything in our life. And, and so we, we take care, for example, right? This is what we do when we, we take care of our physical health. We sleep decently, we exercise, uh, we eat some decent food, and, you know, we wash our hands and we use the sanitizer if we have to, even though that stuff stinks terribly. Uh, and we'll, we'll wear a mask if we need to around other people because we, we believe that Jesus cares for our bodies, but we also believe that Jesus is the, the Lord of all, and, and we are not going to give up expressing public worship. Even if we are not to, here in this place, we're going to find other ways to have public worship and publicly praise his name. We are not going to give up the encouragement that we have as brothers and sisters together in Jesus, and we're not going to give up forgiving and being forgiven by one another, right? Because we believe this guy who is the Lord of all. We trust everything on him. And that's the conviction. That's the conviction that leads to a life-changing consequence. Do you see that? It says, for we believe, so we believe. So first this belief, and that, then that belief. Right? You catch the two? Now, you've got to know how shocking this is for Paul to say that. For and so. Because Paul was a good Jew. Paul was a really good Jew. And, and all good Jews believe that at the end of time, we get to rise again. We're going to bodily rise. That was, that was the, the Jewish belief. Everybody believed that. Uh, Job says, in my flesh I will see God. But what's Paul want to really make us notice here? What he wants us to notice is these words, God will bring with Jesus. Right? God will bring with Jesus. That's what he wants us to notice because, because that's, that's the shocker at the end of all things. It's that Jesus, as Paul says, will come down. It's that the Lord himself will come down. It's that we will be with the Lord forever. All of these, these phrases that Paul uses, 
Right? What Paul is, wants to say is, you know, Jesus' triumph is your triumph. And you're going to finally get the thing that, that you've always wanted. Uh, what he's going to say is, when you take Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, his victory over sin does not empty out your life. It finally fills up your life. And when you take Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, his victory over the devil means that there's a powerful force at work in your life more powerful than anything else in the whole world. And when you have Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, then the death that would rob you of every good thing can never rob you of anything good. You have a life that is at work in you. There's this great illustration from a guy named Donald Barnhouse. Um, and, and I used it like two years ago for Christmas, but I have to cheat and just use it again because you'll see if you can remember it, right? So there's, this man is a, a, a pastor, Donald is, and he lost his wife uh, to cancer. He and his kids were on their way back, I think it was from the committal, and his daughter asks him, Dad, you know, what does it mean that the shadows, that mom has to walk through the shadows, uh, the shadow of death? You know, what's that mean? And at that moment, then a, a, a big a semi passes on them on the road. A, a big tractor trailer goes past them on the road. And it just so happens that the sun is shining on the semi in a way that the shadow of the semi falls on the car. And so Dad says, well, would you rather get hit by the, the semi itself or by the shadow of the semi? And the daughter says, well, I think I'd rather get hit by the shadow, Dad. And he says, yes, that's exactly it, right? Of course you'd rather get hit by, by the shadow. Uh, and that's what Jesus can say with your, with your mom. Jesus took the, the hit of the death. Jesus took the hit of the semi so that just the shadow hits your mom. Yeah, it's, it's true that the shell, the outside, gets ripped away from her. But the real thing is what she finally gets now. She gets the Jesus who was coming to her the whole time. And, and so you and I, in the same way, we can say, come on, death. Come on, come and give us all you got, right? The more you try to lay me low, the more you try to push me down, the more that God and Jesus will raise me up. And the more that you try to break me, the more that you'll actually make me. And the more you try to diminish me, the more that I will become greater than I, you ever imagined. And the more that you try to rob me as a, as a human being of glory and honor and power, the more that I will gain true power and honor and glory. It's just a shadow. So let's hope for that eternal glory. Let's do that, right? Uh, I know that all over the place right now, people are, are giving up. Uh, maybe, maybe people you know are, are giving up and giving up their lives even. Um, people are giving up and they're just done dealing with all of the side effects of, of the pandemic. Um, however you you see that. People are done and, and giving up in trying to help others and have a good impact on the people around them. Jesus is greater than every political leader. He can certainly work through any political leader. Jesus is a greater warrior than every disease that attacks us. Jesus is a greater rescuer than every evil that eats away at us. And if he has turned even death itself into just a shadow, then let's hope for eternal glory. There's nothing greater. Let's pray for that. Dear Jesus, it is true that oftentimes the, uh, 
the lack of knowledge that we have about eternity robs us of hope. But, but really it's the conviction that we've, we've lost. Um, we've been robbed by the, the, the world around us, by the attacks, by the evil that, that sucks out the hope from our souls. And we ask that you would give us a vision for the eternal glory that raises up then new hope in us. We pray for this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.